Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I wanted to remind you that my new book will be coming out in November, but it's available for pre-order now. Be a great gift for yourself for the holidays or for someone you care about who's interested in the devolution of the news media, the death, some would say, of journalism as we once knew it. The book is called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, and you can order Slanted anywhere today. I will be talking today in our podcast about what's coming up on Full Measure And I will have some thoughts about news narratives, about defunding the police, abolishing the police, and reforming the police. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. First things first, I wanted to let you know what you will see on Full Measure this coming Sunday. We are looking at July 26th. And as some of you may know, the program is in reruns while I am researching and beginning to shoot new stories for Full Measure. We begin our season six this coming September. I'm very excited about that. And I think it's still worth tuning in on Sunday because I'll bet you there's a pretty good chance you missed this initial episode when it originally aired. My cover story this week is from the border in Arizona, the U.S.-Mexico border, And it's really a fascinating story about how children, teenagers, and sometimes even younger, are being utilized by Mexican drug cartels, both Mexican children and American children, to move drugs across the border. And these kids are exploited largely because when they're captured in the United States, the feds typically let them go if they're underage. And the cartels have learned this is a wonderful way, sort of a no-consequence way to move drugs because If the mules, the kids who are carrying the drugs, are captured, there's no harm, no foul. They go back and they can live to transport another day. So we're going to profile an Arizona county that saw these same kids sometimes coming over again and again, being exploited really in the worst kinds of ways, by the way, by the cartels, abused, sometimes tortured and beaten up and trapped in this kind of life. We're going to tell you what this county did to 
go against what the feds were doing and really have some consequences that mattered in a way that they think helps the kids and also helps their county in terms of illegal drug trafficking. That's the cover story this week on Full Measure. I will also talk to Senator Chuck Grassley about the controversial practice in the Senate of something called secret holds. And we will also look at earmarks. You maybe haven't heard as much about earmarks as you used to. These are grants of sort of cash awards by members of Congress to people in their district or businesses or projects, often to those who have contributed to them. And they make these earmarks in a way that avoids the normal budgetary approval and process and has very little oversight. We'll have an update on earmarks. All of that Sunday on Full Measure. I hope you'll catch it and understand that I am very busy this summer uh, shooting and researching new exciting stories for September, more stories that nobody else will have. Now, what I want to talk about in today's podcast is the subject of news narratives and how they take hold in our conversation and on the news in ways I think people that promulgate them sometimes don't even recognize. But it's something I take a lot of notice of when I'm watching the news or looking at social media. And the narratives I'm talking about have to do with the movement or the discussion to abolish the police or defund the police. You will notice that the reporting generally on this topic comes with a commentary by a reporter or analysis. In other words, they will typically say that there is this movement to abolish or defund the police, and they may say that there are polls that show most Americans, black and white, other colors, do not want to abolish or defund the police, but then they will say they do agree, most people, that the police industry needs to be reformed. And oftentimes, the reporters and analysts in their own voice giving their own comment or opinion will say things like, but everybody agrees police agencies need to be reformed. And they do that to defend the notion that really things aren't so bad where they should be defunded and abolished. They're kind of giving something to the argument that something needs to be done, just perhaps not something that drastic, and yet everybody agrees police agencies need to be reformed. I'm not going to tell you where I come down on that right now, based on my experience. I'm just going to get you to notice one thing, that the people who are saying everybody agrees that police agencies need to be reformed, and even the members of the public who may be giving that opinion in polls, typically have, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no real experience or knowledge in the big picture of whether that is the case or what evidence there is that police agencies or the police industry needs to be reformed. They're simply parroting something that they've heard or that others are saying or a concession that they want to give for whatever reason as they then say, we don't need to abolish or defund the police. And I've heard reporters that I know say things like, we all agree or everybody knows that police agencies need to be reformed, and I know they don't have experience or expertise in this issue. So what makes them kind of jump on this notion and give that point and talk about it like we all do agree or we all do know, and then pretty soon I hear other people saying it just in common conversation, people I also know 
don't have any experience or expertise on a broad scale with police agencies across the country or have any idea what picture reform would take, what it would entail, what's meant by that. And this is to say, think about when you hear the everybody agrees or the narratives where people are on the news kind of saying much the same thing. I mean, there are many opinions in this country and many viewpoints and a lot of ways to interpret facts, a lot of different solutions offered to many problems. When you hear the same language being used and the same things being said over and over again with such little diversity, I think that's your cue, as I've talked about in my books and my discussions on narratives, that's your cue that somebody's putting out the word and that maybe you should skeptically view some of these thoughts, opinions, and facts. It doesn't mean you shouldn't agree with them. It doesn't mean they're not telling the truth or that it's a bad opinion. It just means think about who wants you to think that. Think about who might be behind a movement to cleverly get people to at least give this concession that police agencies need to be reformed somehow on a large scale, when clearly, I think we all know, most people saying that don't have any, again, expertise in this subject. Think about who might be the driving force and just take a moment to make sure that as you're forming your thoughts and opinions and looking at the facts, you're open-minded and you're cognizant of these patterns that exist in our information landscape. I have covered a lot of stories about police misconduct, police abuse, also, of course, many things that police have done well and properly. And full disclosure, my husband, who is an attorney who's retired, is a former police officer and police official. And I learned a lot about policing and good policing from him. When I was a young journalist, this sounds stupid and naive, and I guess I was, but I thought that if someone's breaking the law, the police have the right to do what's necessary to get them in custody or make them comply, or if they run you know, and, and the person gets hurt who's the suspect, that's their fault because they shouldn't have run. And my husband is the one who explained to me that it doesn't work that way, that police officers are trained professionally to de-escalate a situation, not escalate it, to bring someone, even if they are not complying, into compliance or into custody with minimal force or preferably no force at all, even if they're entitled to use it or justified in using it, the goal is not to use it. And of course, he explained things to me such as if a bunch of teenagers steal a six-pack of beer and are running from the store and will not stop. Obviously, the police cannot shoot at them, cannot legitimately defend shooting at them to stop them because they stole a six-pack of beer. These are simple things that I hadn't spent much time thinking about, but I have in, in the decades since, as I've covered a lot of stories. Another story that came up was fleeing felons. There were a lot of controversies in Florida in the 1980s about police officers that would shoot fleeing felons in the back. In other words, they were running away. And the question is, should you kill somebody? Should you be entitled to use fatal force as a police officer against somebody who's running from you and not posing a threat to you? And unless that person 
is posing an imminent danger of life to somebody else, ultimately the independent thought came down on the side of police should not be shooting at fleeing felons. Same with high-speed chases. I used to think, well, if someone's running from the cops in a car and not pulling over and they've been accused of wrongdoing or they're dangerous, then of course the police have to chase them down. And it was not just my husband, but a lot of thought and analysis about police agencies in the 80s that came down on the side of it is more dangerous to the general public in addition to the person that you're chasing for the police oftentimes to be chasing through a populated area or on a busy highway a suspect in a car. And sometimes you are better off as a police agency letting the person go or radioing ahead and hoping to catch him or her up the road rather than chasing them down because many people have gotten hurt in these high-speed chases, innocent people, not just by the suspects, reckless driving and moves being chased, but sometimes by the police vehicle as well. So these are some of the things that I've put a lot of thought into as I've covered stories and I've understood the role of police agencies and how good policing works versus bad policing. And I I give you all that background to say that based on my experience, I come down on the side that I don't see evidence that there is a need for across the board, widespread reforming of our police agencies. I think there have been studies that show our police agencies compared to almost any in the world are more successful in many different ways in our system than, than most any that you can point to. And I will agree that there are some police agencies individually that may have widespread problems that are so bad from a leadership perspective that that entire police force or police department needs some sort of reform or examination. And I will say that absolutely, like any business and industry, there are many police forces that have bad apples or bad police officers or just incompetence um, among them. And that, that problem needs to be addressed and taken care of. But I will also tell you that on many police forces, I know that it is because I've covered those stories where police officers who do wrong are held accountable. I know there are many police agencies that have a high satisfaction rate among those that they serve where the community is pleased with the outcome, where there are very few complaints, where they operate successfully. And why should these police agencies and these police officers be lumped in with those when reporters are talking about them or analysts are saying, everybody knows policing needs to be reformed? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not something that is an across-the-board reform effort that needs to be made. Maybe it's something that's more targeted. Maybe it's already being done on many police forces. So I just offer that as food for thought in terms of when you hear someone say again that everybody thinks something, everybody believes police agencies have to be reformed but just not abolished. Think about part one of that. Why people would say that? What expertise and knowledge do they really have personally? Have they studied the hundreds, if not thousands, of police agencies across the country to know this information? 
Have they firsthand covered these stories so that they have proven to their own satisfaction that there's such widespread abuse that the whole police industry must be reformed in some way that they don't define? Or are they simply parroting phrases and hearing these words that others have said until it becomes ubiquitous, where it's what we hear when we turn on the news. It's what we see when we read social media. I urge you to just think about these things, form your own conclusions one way or the other, doesn't matter to me, but do your own research, make up your own mind, and think for yourself. Talk to you soon. Check out my other podcast. You can find it anywhere. The Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. An episode that will be released on Friday, July 24th, around 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll start a comprehensive look at media mistakes in the era of Trump. And it's really going to shock you, I think, when you hear all of them. But the first installment of the first media mistakes that I'm going to be analyzing will be in that episode again starting Friday, July 24th, the Cheryl Axon Podcast, wherever you like to listen. I also hope you will consider supporting independent reporting by pre-ordering my new book today. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, available anywhere right now, especially if you believe independent reporting and reporters are a dying breed. This is must-read for you. Among other things, it's going to look at the devolution of CNN, where I once worked, the devolution of the New York Times as it has slowly imploded over the past two years. And this is the first and only book I know of where a dozen news executives, reporters, producers from ABC, NBC, CBS, current and former, from programs you know about, speak about the death of the news as we once knew it speak candidly about it in this book, some of them anonymous, some of them by name, but a real comprehensive look at concern over the industry that I'm in and a very frank look and frank admissions from people who work in this business. So again, do your own research, make up your own mind, and think for yourself.